Let us pray. Father, as we look to your word, we pray that you will speak to us and that your word will challenge us uh, and minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we looked at, Genesis, uh, we looked at Exodus chapter 1 on Chinese New Year. And we saw how the people were in slavery. And then we looked at chapter 2, Exodus chapter 2, and we saw how Moses uh, came into being. And then we took a jump and we went up to Exodus chapter 6, where we looked at the Passover and what it meant. And now, we are not just taking a jump, we are taking a long jump all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, before we look at the text, let me begin with a story. There was this story that I read online. Okay? It was a story of a governor who was running hard for a second term in office. So he, he works very hard, and one day, after a busy morning of chasing after woods, I think you can identify with that, all right, chasing after woods, he arrived at a church barbecue. And it was already late afternoon, and he was feeling extremely hungry. He worked all morning, you see, no breakfast, no brunch, straight late lunch. So as he moved down the serving line, you know, there's a line, and was moved down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman, to the woman who was serving the chicken. So she put one piece on his plate and turned to the next person in line. And the governor was like, mm, excuse me, miss, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm supposed to only give one piece of chicken to one person. But I'm starving and my stomach is making a lot of noise. Can I just have one more piece of chicken? No, sir. Sorry. Only one piece of chicken to one person. And so the governor thought to himself, I yeah, maybe I should put in some, throw in some weight. And so he said to the woman, do you know who I am, young lady? I'm the governor of the state. The lady looked at him and said, do you know who I am, my dear governor? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Now move along. You know, my dear friends, obedience is not something that comes naturally for most of us. I say this with much confidence because this is true of me. Sometimes, just like this governor in the story, we often try to see if we could escape obedience. You see, the opposite of obedience is actually to rebel. The opposite of obedience is actually non-submissive. And that's the exact issue that Moses had to deal with. These group of people that Moses had to lead out of Egypt was a bunch of rebellious people. They tend to rebel against God 
again and again and again. You see, God has called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. But that was not all. Moses was called to lead the people out of Egypt, and then he is to lead them into the promised land. But it wasn't an easy task to do because this group of people, as we all know, were rebellious. The one thing that this group of people really excel in is what? Complain and to grumble. They grumble of almost about you know, they grumble about almost everything. You know, they, they grumble about living Egypt, and then they grumble when there's no water. They grumble when there's no food. They grumble about the type of food. They even grumble about entering the promised land. Now, what do I mean by this? You know, in Numbers chapter 13, in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14, in Numbers 13, Moses actually sent a group of people into Canaan to explore the land. And these people came back and reported back saying, that indeed the land is flowing with milk and honey. If you look at this verse, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, there's always this but now, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Now, who is this descendants of Anak? They are those huge, huge people. Uh, huge people. And this is what it says in verse uh, 32. It says, they say, The land we explore devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. In verse 33, we seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes and we look the same to them. So you can imagine they are so big and you are like a grasshopper, right? And so the Israelites, when they receive such news, what they do? They grumble again, and that's what they're good at, ma, you see. So they say to Moses, okay, they say to Moses this, if only we had died in Egypt. You know, this is a tagline for them, you know. Every time they grumble, they will begin with this. If only we had died in Egypt. It's like something like an emotional blackmail, you know. If only we have died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. You see, my dear friends, every time these people grumble against Moses, they are actually grumbling against God. They are actually rebelling against God. They are rebelling against the work that God is doing in their lives. They are rebelling against the very instructions of God. God says, go into the promised land, but they say, no, I want to go back to Egypt. And in that group of people who went in to explore Canaan, there was this guy by the name of Caleb, and Caleb was one of them who, who kind of like encouraged 
these people. And he says in verse 8, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. But you see, even with such encouragement, the people refuse to listen and they rebel against God. These people were so rebellious that God stopped them from entering into the promised land. And we see that in Numbers 14, verses 21 to 23. It says, Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised and oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And that's what happened. This group of people who rebelled against God never saw the promised land. They all died in the desert. Here in Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to a new generation. This generation has all died. And he's speaking to a new generation. And in a sense, he is speaking to the children of these rebellious people. And one of the major things that Moses stresses to this new generation as they are about to enter into the promised land is obedience. It's obedience. And he also tells them why. If we look at Deuteronomy 6, 1, this is 1 and 2. It says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and that you may enjoy long life. You know, why do you think Obedience is utmost important to God. For some of you here who have children, why do you set rules and boundaries for your children? Why? Is it because you have nothing better to do? Now, I am a daughter myself. And my parents set rules and boundaries for me. They even do so now, unfortunately. <laughs> but let me also say this. It is a lot more easier to obey when I actually understand and know their heart for me. It is a lot more easier for me to obey however inconvenient it may be, if I know that their heart is always for me and not against me. 
In the same manner, my dear friends, what do you think God's heart is for us when he says to us that we are to observe all the commands, decrees, and the law? What do you think God's heart was for the Israelites? Was it because that God was so free? I mean, he walks in the garden all the time, right? The text tells us that we are to observe the command, decrees, and the law so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you and that you may enjoy long life. You know, in Exodus chapter 20, when Moses first gave the Ten Commandments, he says in verse 20, Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, he says, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. That's God's heart for us, to keep us from sinning. What else? If you look at this verse, God's heart for us is that we may enjoy long life. And in verse 3, God's heart for us is that all may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. Now we may ask, how is it that we may enjoy long life and all go well with us when most of the Ten Commandments begins with thou shalt not. How to enjoy, ah? Everything is okay, not? Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. How to enjoy? How is it that we may enjoy life and all go well with us when God's command seems to be restricting us in so many ways? But friends, we need to understand that although... The Ten Commandments appears to be restrictive. It points towards a positive outcome. Now, what does that mean? Take, for example, the commandment, Thou shall not kill. When God says, Thou shall not kill, what God was also essentially saying is that we are called to celebrate and preserve life. When God said, thou shall not commit adultery, what God was also essentially saying is that we are called to be faithful to that one person that we are yoked with. So friends, when we begin to see the flip side of God's commandments, then truly we will be able to enjoy long life and that all will go well with us. Because God's heart for us in giving his commands, his degrees, and his law is so that we are able to live in a right relationship with him first and then with one another in the community. You know, you just imagine there's no rules, no laws, no regulations, no consequences can live a long life. 
We don't even know whether you can live long life, not to mention to enjoy it. I really don't think so. Obedience is an important element of our life with God. And obedience has to happen in the context of a relationship, a relationship between us and God. And Moses explains three ways on how we can grow in our relationship with God. And it's not just us, but we are also to help our children to grow likewise. First, Moses says that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all, and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is a commandment in itself. You see, my dear friends, a love relationship with God begins from within. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul. It begins from within. And the word strength, there, if we check the dictionary, it actually means exceedingly or abundantly, with passion. passion. All right? so, so we are to love God with all our heart and with all our soul exceedingly, passionately. So this is a very tall order. And the question is, how are we going to do that? And the follow-up question would be, how are we to teach our future generation to do that? Because verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Number one, your hearts. Impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. You know, friends, we can never be the first to love God. Our love for God is always, always comes as a response to his love. We love because he first loved us. God demonstrated his love to the Israelites when he heard their cry and came to their aid. God demonstrated his love to the Israelites by bringing them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And this brings me to the second point here, is we love God exceedingly by remembering his redemptive work. Because if you look at verses 10 to 12, it says this, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, okay, into the land, okay, and it says this, a land with large flourish, flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt 
and out of the land of slavery. And this second point is kind of linked to the third point. This is because when we are able to remember God's redemptive work in our lives, then we would want to fear Him and serve Him only. And we see this very clearly in the life of the Apostle Paul. When we read Paul's letters, we will come to know that the Apostle Paul is the man who always recalls and remembers his testimony. And he was the man who always considered himself as the worst of sinners. And we actually find him saying this to Timothy, who is his spiritual son in 1 Timothy. And because he has so experienced God's mercy on his life, Paul fearlessly served Christ. Paul was a man who feared God and served him only. And so friends, we, today we, we learned about obedience. We learned about loving God exceedingly. We learned that we need to always remember God's redemptive work in our lives. And we learned about serving him. We not only need to apply this in our lives, but we also need to teach our next generation about it. And to help us with that, I have put in three application questions that would help us to think deeper. If you look in your outline, there's three questions there. And the first question is, how can we practice obedience in our lives so that it is visible to the next generation the importance of obedience. You know, my dear friends, a lot of things in life is caught rather than taught. You know, just this week, I came across a piece of news on the Star Online. It was tagged into my Facebook so I could see that news. And this is the man I saw. This man. This is Mr. Tia. This man is uh, Mr. Tia, and uh, he is actually from Kampa. He's from Kampa. I've seen him a couple of times when I was there, and he's a man who actually collects recyclable items and sells them uh, for money lah, to, to support himself and his family. That was his job collect recyclable items and sell them. And here in this picture, this police officer is giving him a gift in appreciation for his honesty. What has happened was, according to the news, he stumbled upon some cash on the road. 4,000 ringgit, right? Now, for a poor man who has five children, 4,000 ringgit is a lot of money. It can probably save a lot of his financial problems. But he chose to give the money to the police because in the bag, there was an identification card. So he gave it to the police so that the police could contact the owner. But what caught my attention about him was his motive in returning the money. If you actually go under the Star Online, you will actually read this story. I forgot which day, but... In that story, he actually says, his, uh, you actually find his motive. You see, his daughter was with him when he found the money. 
And he says that he told his daughter that we must not keep money that belongs to someone else. You see, children, when they find money, especially on the road, they will get pretty excited. I know that because I was like that. Many years ago, when I was still in primary school, we were in, my parents and I, we went for shopping. And on the floor, we found, uh, I think it was 200 ringgit. Found 200 ringgit, and I got so excited. I said, Papa, 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 I want a new school bag. And my brother said he wanted the new shoes. And my father said, no, we cannot just spend that money. And so this man, he actually says that, you know, such behaviour of taking money that does not belong to them was not something that he wanted his five children to pick up. You see, a lot of things is caught rather than taught. We must demonstrate to our children an obedient lifestyle. And this can be one example. So how can we practice obedience in our lives so that it is visible to the next generation, the importance of obedience? The second question is, reflect about the kind of conversation we have with our family at home. And if I may add, not just at home, but also in our community or in our church. You see, friends, we need to have conversations about the realities of life with our children. You know, my parents, my parents, they love me. There's no doubt, huh, by the way, they love me. But we don't usually talk about the realities of life. We don't really talk about God, mainly because we, my parents and I, we came to know God in a sense together. We, we got baptized together. So they were new to the faith, and, so, and I was also new to the faith. They were learning, and I was also learning. So it, it's difficult for them to teach me, to impress on me, to talk to me uh, about God because they themselves were trying to figure it out. And I remember growing up as a teenager, I had issues that I had to deal with. I had problems with my identity. I had problems with low self-esteem. I had problems about accepting myself. I had problems trying to fit in. I couldn't even fit into the MYF at that time. And I basically had all other issues that a teenager would go through. And I was 15 when I came to church, my parents and I together, when I was 15. And I got to know a person who was 20 years older than me. So when I'm 15, she is... 35, she's a young adult. And this person took it upon herself to journey through my teenage years right into college, right when I went into polytechnic. She would sit with me, you know, she would sit me down and talk to me about life and about God. You know, she, in a sense, you know, she loved me and she shared 
her life with me. Was it easy for her? No. Because she had to sit with me, reason it out with me, struggle with me, and sometimes wrestle with me. I was quite rebellious at that time. But she kept at it. Looking back now, I have no words enough to actually thank her for the way that she has walked with me uh, through my teenage years. You know, friends, I share this because there are a lot of youths out there who need companionship. There are a lot of children and youths out there who needs an avenue to wrestle through the realities of life. Would you or would we be present to them? Would we give them that safe environment to talk to us about it? Some of us, you know, you have your own kids and you have your own teenagers and you have your own college kids, invest in their lives. And for some of us who are able to be on the lookout for other children, other youths who need help through life. You know, Jesus has commissioned us that we are to make disciples of all nations. But may we learn to look at our future generation as our first disciples whom we nurture. And the third question is, how can we intentionally help ourselves and our children to remember God's redemptive work in the family? One of the ways that I believe would be helpful is to do a daily review together as a family. Sit down together and review your day. Ask one another questions like, what, when was the time you felt most close to God? And when was the time that you felt most distant from God? This is just examples of questions. You can just, you may, you, you are able think deeper and come up with creative ways where you can just spend time together remembering God's work in your family. I'd like to end with, with this uh, story also. Uh, we all know that Billy Graham died, right? Okay, he died. And his funeral was actually about six hours long because I, I, I clicked on it and it was <gasps> six hours. So I was like fast-forwarding, fast-forwarding, fast-forwarding. And then it came to this part where all the children were actually saying something about their father, Billy Graham. And one of them said this, my father, Billy Graham, was fat. And then he paused. And I was like, what's wrong with this guy? And he says this, my father, Billy Graham, was fat, faithful, available, teachable. And that was all his eulogy was. Faithful, available, teachable. And friends, if we want to invest in our future generation, 
if we want to teach them, impress upon them, talk to them, then we all need to be fat. Don't stone me, yeah? We need to be fat. We need to be fat fathers. We need to be fat mothers. We need to be fat mentors. We need to be fat aunts, fat uncles. I'm already fat and I'm an aunt. Uh, we need to be a fat grandfather and a fat grandmother. May we learn and ask God for His grace as we teach our future generation. Let us pray. Father, we thank you 